How do we keep the change going to the point that it is considered real change, which uh, the World Health Organization actually defines as being one year plus. So for all these kind of 12-week things going on and six weeks to being shredded and whatnot, they're fantastic, amazing. It's great. What happens afterwards? You're listening to The Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, mindset and performance coach Greg Seller talks fixed and growth mindsets, understanding others' viewpoints, and why falling off the fitness wagon is feedback, not failure, with Network's Oliver Kitchingman. Greg, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Greg, what is the fitness fail cycle? I think I think the fitness fail cycle is something that we all tend to get caught in, or maybe not us. It could be us, but I'd say it's mainly the clients in that, you know, they have these momentary blips. Uh, the stock market sometimes calls it a dead cat bounce, and I'm sorry to all the cat lovers out there, but um, a dead cat bounce is when there is this momentary blip of excitement and movement and happening and action and motivation and then long periods of nothing. And I think sometimes as an industry as a whole and with our clients, we can get caught in that, that type of a fail cycle where, you know, coming together, especially at events like Fireworks, you know, we, we come together, we explore ideas, lots of people share their ideas and, and try and educate. But then my ask is how much of that actually gets back to the gym floor. And once it does get back to the gym floor and it's trained upon a client or worked upon within a fitness center, what what's the outcome? Like, is there truly revolution taking place out there on a day-to-day basis with transformational change or is it just more of the same you know another exercise routine another meal plan another this another that and so I, I think the fail cycle for the industry is why can't we get above 17 percent penetration for the general public and i think for the trainers the fail cycle is why aren't we doing more to understand not just training the body but also the mind and behaviors and values and beliefs and the stuff that is going to have longer lasting change and then the client is you know how how do we how do we keep the change going to the point that it is considered real change which uh the world health organization actually defines as being one year plus so for all these kind of 12-week things going on and six weeks to being shredded and whatnot, they're fantastic, amazing. It's great. What happens afterwards? And so that, that, that's, that's my ongoing concern. <laughs> so there is value in the short-term programs, but only as long as there is a plan for follow-up as soon as they're, they're done. 
Yeah, what I think the programs are for, and, and truth be told, I'm actually on one at the moment, and it's not my own because um, I don't have one. But but you know, I'm on a I'm on a twelve week thing, and and for what it meant to me was, you know, my my highs and lows, my kind of yo yo cycle is probably not as big as you know some the general public's yo yo cycle. But I did get to the point where I was like, look, I need to do something. Right, I'll call this person. I know I can do this. Twelve weeks is only three months out of my life. And I'll get to a point. The good thing about it is that there is always something to learn in there. So particularly around the meal plans, I just totally lost sight of in order for me to get down to a desired goal weight, I should only be eating this much in terms of portion size. It's not about the regularity during the day, but you know, to have 30 grams of mixed raw nuts or a 200 gram small tub of yogurt with the half a cup of mixed berries versus, you know, just volume. That to me is, is like gold because when I finish the 12 weeks and I eventually stop working with that particular trainer, I then have a new reference point. I then have a new level of education to be able to go away and say, look, that's not how much I should be eating. You know, this is the intensity that I should be training at when I train. So that's what they're, that's what they're great for. And, you know, I will get change out of it. I will experience change, but that's me. You know what I mean? So what's it going to be like for, for somebody and how much of the education are we giving them a for their level of, of competence and what kind of questions are we trying to unlock in the training process to understand what might be some of the interferences or the barriers that might stop them when you are not standing in front of them? Okay, so what can PTs and clubs and managers do about this? I think there's this recognition of, well, I, I tend to work around 3M. So you, you have to work in the mindset space. You have to understand like the differences between a fixed and a growth mindset. I also think there is uh, motivation and understanding what it is and what it isn't, what it can and can't do or won't do. And then there's also m- momentum, which is the third M, which is how do we actually keep people from understanding that if they do fall off the wagon, because they will invariably, how do they do it less often, less severely? And how do they also understand that in the big cycle of things, the difference between falling off the wagon, it's not total failure. And the distance between that failure, which is really feedback and success is really not as big as they think it is. You know, how many times has a client said, Oh, I had a bad weekend. Therefore, you know, the game's off. I've ruined it. They beat themselves up. The inner critic takes over versus, look, I had a bad weekend. In the big scale of things, nothing's changed. I'll be back on track Monday morning. I'm back doing what I need to do. And yeah, happy days. Let's go. Okay. So, I mean, you allude to the fix and the growth mindset there. So what is the main difference between those? So Carol Dweck uh, wrote the definitive book on mindset called, bizarrely enough, Mindset. <laughs> and uh, what she identified was a fixed and a growth mindset. So a fixed, a fixed mindset pretty much says that that person thinks that their capabilities are set in stone, that they come into life with a certain level of ability and capability, and once it's up, it's up. So they tend to go into most situations thinking, am I going to be good or bad at this? Am I going to succeed or fail? Am I going to be liked or disliked? And most 
a, a lot of people's upbringing actually sets them up for a fixed mindset because we take on most from our early childhood. You know, the neurons get set at around about that age, uh, six or seven. And we're so influenced by that. Although neuroplasticity does exist around being able to change your brain, you know, Aristotle once said, show me um, a boy of seven and I'll show you the man. And so a lot of our fixed mindset comes from, uh, you know, parents, grandparents, what we were told, how we took on the world at that early stage. And we really need to get into that point of a growth mindset. And the difference is those people will go, okay, I understand that I don't know it, but it's not that I don't know it. It's just that I don't know it yet. And if I put the right amount of effort in, then what I can do is I can actually expand my capabilities because I am capable. And it's really important, particularly for parents and for trainers to be able to ask the right questions or to listen in the right way to understand whether their clients maybe are in a fixed mindset and then what are the tools that we can use to actually try and pull them towards more more of a growth mindset. Most of that will come around exploring possibilities through proper and well-thought-out questioning. Okay. You sometimes refer to the father of general semantics, as he's known, um, Alfred, I think I'm saying his surname correctly, um, Kozybski, who said that the the map is not the territory. But So what does this mean, particularly in relation to training clients? Out of all the coaching work I've done, the map is not the territory is my favorite, favorite saying, because to me it explains almost any conflict, misunderstanding, and, and just why you can't see the way, see things the way that other people might see them. You know, so you take a dinner room, take a dinner conversation and you've got a plethora of opinions. Each person is coming at whatever the topic is based upon their own map of the world. And so when we talk about the map is not the territory, he's basically saying, look, you have reality and then you have your version of reality that you take in as a result of your perceptual filters. So you're going to take in everything that you see, everything that you hear, everything that you feel and run them through these filters before you take them in as your experience. And there is a structure to experience based on, like I said before, your parents, your grandparents, your early teachers, your experiences as a child. And we tend to carry those through. And so coming to the understanding that the way you see things is just your version of reality or your map really allows you to better be able to put your headspace or put your thinking into the shoes of your client and more easily be able to empathetically understand what it is that they're going through because you understand that that is their map of the world. And I think too often as trainers and too often as an industry, we just operate from our map of the world. And it's a pretty unique map because, you know, we're involved in fitness. We like fitness. We live fitness for a lot of us. Most people don't. Most people are still stuck on their lounge at home and, you know, 17% of the Australian population are engaging with us. What are the other, what, 83% doing? You know, they've got nothing to do with us and they don't want anything to do with us. And the question is why? So it really is a case of maybe a certain detachment and needing to kind of get back down to a level 
where we're not placing ourselves kind of intellectually or knowledge knowledge base above our clients and the people that need to be learning what we've got to share. So talking to them from a different level. Yeah, you've got the um, lo- lo- uh, what are they? The levels of learning. So you're starting at unconscious incompetence at the bottom, and mm. that you know these are the people <coughs> who just generally don't know anything. You know, they, they, they still think fish fingers and chips are a good, cheap alternative at dinner time for young children when equally, you know, they, they could probably go to Coles or Woolworths and find for 25 bucks or the same amount that they would spend a completely healthy meal, but they just don't know how. And so a lot of the time it's education. And that takes you right up to the level of unconscious competence where as, as trainers all of the time and people involved in the fitness industry, I think we take so much for granted in terms of knowledge and it's really difficult to bring yourself back down to the level of some of the general public. I, I worked with a corporate client and I actually took a group through a workout a few weeks back and I didn't I didn't know the group and I was just shocked at the simplest the things that I thought were going to be so simple for them they actually just had no clue about it you know when you've got poor proprioception poor kinesthetic awareness you haven't worked in that way before something as as simple as a squat can be totally screwed up and that was a real it was a real eye-opener for me because I think again sometimes in the industry we spin on our little top of like what's next what's next what's next how do we reinvent this what does it mean now is that right is that wrong da 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 and then you've got this general public out there who really know absolutely nothing you could do the most basic simple thing and they would see results from that and probably feel the benefit of it the other big thing about the, the levels of learning is that at those bottom two levels, so you're looking at unconscious incompetence where you don't know what you don't know, and then you're also looking at conscious incompetence where you do actually get to the point of, I know I don't know. There's a lot of fear, there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of anxiety at those levels. So it becomes very hard to kind of coach people at those levels until you can build them up to a point where they feel confident enough that, okay, I've got this now and now I can fly with it. And I think we find it very difficult to to head down to those levels. So what happens? We just assume a lot of knowledge and we just say, right, I'm the expert. I know what you need. Okay, you're going to operate from my map of the world. So automatically that's a, that's a red flag. And you're going to go over there and, you know, run on that treadmill for five minutes or we'll pick out that weight and we'll do X amount of sets and reps. And, and it's just not engaging with them. It's not landing. And that's why one in two of those 17% will cancel their memberships or leave big box health clubs within six months. So how does unconsciously repeating unhelpful thought processes hold our clients back? And how can we help them overcome ingrained negative behaviors? At the end of each day, you're going to end up with about, you you will have thought about 60,000 thoughts and 45,000 of those are going to be negative, which is an incredible amount of time that you will have said no, can't, won't to yourself. And on top of that, you've got the inner critic, that little voice that sits wherever it sits on you, just saying, you're not good enough, you're so fat, you're so lazy, why can't you do what everybody else does? You know, that's going on all the time as well. And, you know, that kind of head trash 
because your brain is actually like a computer in a way, although you know it's more than hardware. Those that type of head trash, that type of thinking, that constant thing, not only wears you down, but it's like a virus in the computer, and it stops you from. Uh, it, it slows down the operating system and actually stops you from installing new apps. So one of the questions I think we need to ask our clients is what type of upgrades in your thinking do you know you'll need in order for us to get that end result? What type of software upgrades are going to need to take place for, for, for change to take place, but not just to take place, but to last so that you hit that one year and beyond mark? That to me is a bigger measure. Okay. You also talk about status quo thinking, which isn't necessarily negative thinking, as we were just discussing, but it's more just an acceptance of where you are without the the recognition that you can push for, for better things. Yeah, status, status quo mentality, typically, I've got to try and remember these, because there's typically three reasons that you'll do it. One, you crave acceptance. So you're happy to stay doing what you're doing as long as you don't rock the boat. You want to be liked. You just want to, you know, live a comfortable life. So that is one status quo mentality that we need to try and overcome. The other is that you want to be normal. And we know that, like, normal doesn't exist. I mean, what is normal to you may not be normal to me. And the other big one is, you know, people wanting to stay in the status quo just because it's what everybody else does. You know, the idea of the, the larger congregation, it wouldn't be the status quo unless everybody did it. And so it's not wanting to, to stand out too much. And, and all of that type of thinking is actually going to keep you quite ingrained in where you are. I thought it was really interesting on, on Biggest Loser recently. I don't know if anyone watches Gogglebox. <laughs> but, you know, Nikki, Nikki copped quite a lot of flack because she was the smallest contestant on the show. I think she weighed about 75 or 78 kilos, but she was only small. And she was copying a lot of flack because, you know, the media in particular were saying, is she too small for the show? You know, is this indicative of the biggest loser? And what was interesting on the show was she was really, you know, quite quite aggressive in saying, look, I've never shown my husband naked like naked i am ashamed of the way i look i hate going to the beach or blah 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 and i just thought okay that in itself is enough okay but on Gogglebox, uh there's there's that couple and you know the guy one of the guys is particularly large and he's looking at the tv with his wine in his hand and he's saying oh you know she's not even that big and i thought well not only is she that big because they'd had the DEXA scans and she was in the obese range, but you have lost the sight of what big is because you are twice as big as her. You, he probably would have fallen into the morbidly obese. And I think a lot of the time with, with the status quo is when you are surrounded by what you see as being normal, you actually lose perspective of what truly is normal. And so it just, it, it, it then all slides off from there. And that's why, you know, we, we've lost this kind of skew and this perception of, of what is real and what is normal because we've kind of let ourselves go a bit. <laughs> 
Okay, great. So when it comes to helping clients escape the fitness fail cycle, what's the main kind of takeaway from this? Is it it's a communication or it's um it's it's how we how we react? I think it's two things. It's about the conversation. It's about operating less from a tell mode. So less about being the experts and starting to hold rather than normal conversations, what I would refer to as empowered conversations. So it's not about you. It's not about what you know. It's not about you knowing the right way. And it's not about you as a trainer telling the client necessarily what to do, although they will have come to you for that to an extent. When you have an empowered conversation, it's actually more about them. And there is this presupposition that the client themselves is actually resourceful and that they know what is going to work for them based on their lifestyle and what they like and all of that sort of stuff. And and that you as a trainer is actually going to listen and ask the right questions so that together you can work out what you're going to do based on your knowledge in health and fitness, but also based on their map of the world of them knowing what is going to work for them long term. I don't think we get enough of that. I think we get more of the normal conversations, which is I'm going to tell you what to do and you either do it or not. And if you don't do it, understand that you won't be successful. And if you do, you will. And so what happens is we get short-term success you know, you run far enough, you lift enough weights, you are going to change the shape of the body. But then when they're not with you, they fall off the wagon, they're in the fail cycle, they eat, whatever, and most people put the weight back on. Great. Thank you very much. Um, if listeners want to find out anything else about uh, this sort of this thinking, where can they go to find out more? Yeah, so I'm just about to finish a life hack program, a 30-day program based on this sort of stuff, which is actually for clients. So it could be about personal trainers, but it's more for the clients and you could actually give it to their clients to take them through the process. It's just a daily video and a daily activity in a PDF format. And that's all available on the website, which is www.gregseller.com. And I also have a company page, Greg Seller, on Facebook. So you can connect with me there where I, I tend to put, you know, just some bloggy type stuff up there or interesting articles that I've found in this space that I think would be helpful either in fitness, but also most of it is completely applicable in everyday life. Greg, thanks again for talking to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks for having me. For online courses focusing on coaching and behavior change, including the course Foundations for Success, Goal Setting for Weight Management, head to the network website. Courses are fully accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, and network members get massive discounts of up to 40% off. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au forward slash CECs today to grow your skill set and fitness career.